0: Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. Well, hello
1: (laughs) again. It's been a while. (laughs) Last year, I think. So I'm really excited, uh, again, to come before all of you tonight. Uh, we're going to uh, uh, be continuing on uh, in the book of Genesis. We've been going through the book of Genesis. Uh, in particular, we've been focused on the last six days of creation. Um, and really, we've, it's, I would say those six days uh, are very science-oriented. So, you know, a lot of the conversation has been science-driven and talking about uh, really all the... The various things that we can observe and study and see, you know, in in the in the physical world and and how they tie back to the scripture. Uh, tonight's lesson will be no different. Uh, we'll we'll definitely be getting into that. Although tonight will be really interesting, I think will be pretty pretty cool uh, because uh, we're going to be in day four uh, and we're going to really be talking about um, uh, the creation of the stars and the and the sun and the moon as it exists you know, in the, in the heavenly bodies outside in our universe. So we're gonna touch on some pretty interesting things there as it relates to this. Um, however, I would like to start as I normally do um, and share really, especially for those that are here and then those that are online that may be watching or may watch later, You know, the really true one thing in life that matters and, and more than anything else, and that's really a, a, a faith uh, and, and trust in our Lord Jesus Christ. So, you know, as we begin tonight, I'd like us to kind of open our hearts, you know, really to this truth and, and listen to the verse as I read it. I, I typically read this at the beginning um, and just let it burn into your hearts and into your minds um, as then we go forward into the Scripture. And really that's John 3.16. So, um, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, this is really the the only one truth that matters. Uh, Of all the things that we study and everything that we look at, this really boils it down. We have to acknowledge that we're sinners. We have to ask for forgiveness. We have to accept Jesus into our heart. And we have to turn and walk away from the sins of this world. And, you know, that if we walk away with that as the only thing then we've accomplished something you know for for each person that may hear this so um let's go ahead and kind of jump in now Uh, i'm going to recap briefly this time the recaps are starting to get longer so i'm starting to cut them down the past lessons we've talked about you know the age of the earth uh really kind of there's an abundance of fact-based data that, that that proves that this is a young earth and not an old earth we've explored a lot of those We'll see a few of those a couple of those today. again, they'll, they'll come up. Uh, they tend to come up quite often. Um, we've also uh, talked about you know the days being literal 24-hour days. So when we talk about day one and two and three and through six, they're really 24-hour days um, in, in, in creation. Um, the first day of creation we saw God, you know had commanded uh, that light. You know, come forth, right, and separate light from darkness. We saw in de- in the second day uh, when we studied that how he separated the waters, both um, the water, and, uh, you know, on the on the earth, the sky, if you will, and then another water that was in in the in the vault or in the expanse, uh, where you know was just this water canopy that existed at that point in time. And we talked in detail about how that worked and what it did. Uh, In the third day, last time I was up here, we talked about the separation of land and sea and how uh, vegetation was then put in place, uh, which is really important uh, for uh, for the sustenance and growth of, of everything that was going to come from the next days that came on. And then finally, in this day, and then we'll start to get into the creation of creatures, it's really going to be about the sun and the moon and the stars and really the celestial beings that we observe and see. So, that's going to be uh, day four. So let's go ahead and jump in. We're going to be in Genesis one 14 through 14-19. And I'll go ahead and start to read here. So, then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night And let them be for signs and seasons, and for days and years. And let them be for the lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and so the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So, on the fourth day, you know, God made what we call the celestial sphere, this thing we're talking about, right? The universe, if you will. It includes the stars and the planets and the, the nebulas and galaxies and all these things that we have studied as we were you know, growing up in school. And, and we can see, and we're going to dive into some of those, which are quite amazing, what we're able to see now. Um, but unfortunately, you know I think living here in New Jersey, or I'm over in Pennsylvania, not too far away, uh, if you go out into the night sky uh, on a clear night and, and look up, Uh, you know, we don't get a sense of awe of what this really looks like, right? So I'm going to kind of put up my next slide here and say this is kind of what you would see when you go out uh, and look up in New Jersey at the sky, right? This is kind of washed out up here, but you see a few little pinpricks, right? Even if it's a crisp winter night and, and the air is cold, which kind of adjusts the optics, you still don't see that many stars you know, from this particular area because of all the light pollution, it's not so awe-inspiring in in my mind. But, however, you know, as I've said before, I I grew up in New Mexico. Uh, I spent the first thirty years of my life there before moving here, uh, and uh, basically, uh, you have to kind of understand what New Mexico is like, right? Uh, my family can attest to this story because I've told it many times. Whenever I think about stars, it's the one that I remember the most. I've seen many, many, many pictures like this, but uh, you know, when you we, we were working on a project with the uh, Mescalero Apache tribe, which is down in southern New Mexico, and, and if you understand the size of New Mexico, it's about 14 times bigger than New Jersey, right? The landmass. It's very big state. Okay. But if you look at the population of New Mexico, uh, it's about 2.1 million. Where here you're at about 9.2 million now. This is as the latest numbers that I was able to get. So it's a very sparsely populated state. There's not a lot of cities. There's not a lot of towns. There's a lot of roads that you can drive on for hours, and you won't see a car. You won't see a, a pass a, a building. You won't see anything. You won't see anybody. Uh, and and so when you're out there. There isn't anything to pollute the light. So, uh, what I, that night in particular, I, w- I had finished the project and decided to drive home. I wanted to sleep in my own bed, um, been gone for a few days and was, was tired of, of, of being in a hotel. Um, so, I did the four hour trek. So, this is a four hour drive where, again, it's like that no cars, nobody, no nothing. You're out in the middle of nowhere. Maybe there's some coyotes out there and whatnot. Um, what we saw when I got out of the car to kind of stretch my legs is something that looks more like this. Now, this obviously is not a picture that I took uh, because um, I didn't have cameras back then that could do this uh, at the time that I was you know, there. But that's what it looked like. You could see that celestial heaven, right? You could see the expanse. Uh, the center portion of the Milky Way there is, is, is as it comes across, and, it, and with your naked eye, you could just look up, and that's pretty much what it looked like. And so it was quite awe-inspiring. You know, I, it, it brings me back to Psalms one thirty-six, five through nine, where where uh, it says, uh, "To him who the wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endures forever. To him who laid out the earth above the waters." For his mercy endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his mercy endures forever. The sun to rule by day, for his mercy endures forever, the moon and stars to rule by night, for his mercy endures forever. You know, I think of that when I think about that picture and that, that, that vision of, of of what I saw, you know, out in the middle of nowhere literally. This is uh, you know, really kind of a testament to the study of our night. I mean, God's creations really are awe, and I use all caps, you know, awe-inspiring. You know? So let's go ahead and, and begin to kind of break this down uh, in Genesis 1 and 14 and 15. So I'm, I'll kind of reread that. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, And let them be signs and seasons uh, and for the days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Now, on the first day of creation, God created light. We saw that, the, the true light. In other words, the entity of light. And presumably, I would say, that during this time it included all of the electromagnetic, uh, elect, uh, electromagnetic spectrum. So you know your X-rays and infrareds and visible lights and ultraviolet light. All these sort of breakup. He God created that light. You know when He commanded, "Let there be light." But on this, in, in day four, He created something that's different. It's lights plural. And so when we look at that word uh, from a Hebrew perspective. It's pronounced actually Maor or M-A-O-R, Maor, uh, which means the source of light or light givers. So these are additional lights uh, that, that are, are cast in, in into place. Um, the atmosphere, you know, being completely purified all, all you know at this point, now all of a sudden stars were the first time existed, right? He spoke them into existence. And, as we go on tonight we 'll see some some imagery that 's quite quite amazing um, you know he they are uh, described as being in the firmament, so we 've seen that word before, um, you know and which to us, when we first look up, it kind of seems like they 're close everything 's sort of close by, but we 'll see as we get further on here this stuff 's really far away you know it's it 's quite far away, so it 'll be quite interesting, however i don 't want to lose sight of the main purpose you know for the light that was given to divide day and night that was the purpose that 's what it tells us in in Genesis what God says um, and really it 's important right very important it gives uh, it gives uh, heat for us we wouldn 't be able to live without the light that exists today. Uh, it provides uh, photosynthesis for the plants we wouldn 't be able to grow anything there would be no plant life there would be nothing if we didn 't have that light that light is very important to us. So, I want to talk a little bit as I break this down about chapter 16 where he talks about the two lights. So there's the greater light, which we know as uh, the sun, right? And it's to rule the day. And then there's a lesser light, which is the moon, which you know we call the moon. And it's to rule the night. You know, the sun as... As we know, it is, is you know, a huge, in, in, our, in our world and what we've studied, this huge, giant you know, body that produces you know, its own light, while the moon itself produces no light. It reflects light, right? So it reflects it off the sun back to us, but it does still provide light at night. Think about a, 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 a very bright full moon night, and you can pretty much see almost anywhere, you know, when you're walking around, it's quite bright. So, on a a clear night, of course. Um, So, I would like to address these two, the moon and the sun, a little bit separately. uh, And talk a little bit about them. And this is going to kind of tie back to what I consider putting this into a young earth. Okay? So, in my studies, I've been reading um, several books. But one book in particular that I have really enjoyed, and it's called In Six Days. I think I've talked about it before up here. And really, it's a compilation of 50 really well-accredited scientists in mathematics, and biology, and physics, and astronomy, uh, just to name a few. And they're Christians. And they're, they're Christians, and each of their papers that they write, that they compile into this book, are really talking about uh, many different various aspects to why this is, was six days. That creation happened in six days, and it it really spells it out. And this one that I was reading when I was prepping for this was an essay written by uh, a a gentleman by the name of Danny Faulkner, who's a professor of astronomy and physics at the University of South Carolina. And he was talking about the moon and the sun. And so I'm going to paraphrase a lot of what what he wrote, but kind of bring it in because it really sort of tells the story about the moon, its existence, and And how that fits into the fact that this is a young earth, the sun as well, so it says here, you know for each year, what we've learned or what they 've measured and studied is that uh, the moon moves about four centimeters further away from the Earth, so each year it's moving a little bit further and a little bit further away from us, okay um, and the day also the the is uh increasing. At a rate of 0.0016 seconds per century. Now that's that sounds like it's not very much, but you know over time, you know over a long period of time, as uh, what we would call the long Earth sort of believing, uh, you know that becomes something that you can supposedly measure. Okay, so if you take a look at this and you also think about the the moon aspect, so if you understand tides at all and I've learned a little bit about tides being a boat owner now. We bought a boat a while back and you have to learn about tides or you run aground. Uh, if you don't you know, fit the wrong time of the day in, in the river, you can run aground. I did it already, so <laughs> I made the mistake. Uh, so I learned a lot about tides. But, you know, the moon drives the tides, right? So depending on the placement of the moon, it, it moves the water up. And then when the moon's not present, you know, the gravity of the moon, the water goes down. And it, it kind of moves it back and forth. And that's how tides are really fluctuating as, as everything is, is circling around. Um, so this is kind of an important aspect to the fact that the moon, we know, that we've measured over of several periods of years, that it's moving away. So this is continually moving away. So if you take the moon and you take that, that calculation and you, you, you put it in place against, you sort of fix the time that we're at now and then you reverse it backwards, bringing it closer, assuming that, you know, at moving away at four centimeters, you find out that in about um, 1.3 billion years, the moon basically would collide with the earth. I mean, it, it would be, it, we, this wouldn't work, right? There's a problem there. And that really is about one third of the age of the earth that they're, they're calling out, right? So they say the earth's 4.5 billion years old, but in, in 1.3 billion years, it just, there's a problem there. And, and it needs to be you know addressed uh, it's it 's off by about two thirds, which is really a big deal but if even more so if 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 you just went back a billion years and, and let 's just say that that the moon wasn 't you know really here I mean, it wasn 't h- hitting the earth yet, the tides would would be moving in forty foot you know fifty foot you know increments, which there's no there 's no definitive data captured anywhere that they can come back with. And this this goes on both sides, secular and, and, and Christian. Nobody believes that, right? That that's not the case. So that really does kind of... It's another avenue or another nugget, if you will, that points to the fact that this is really probably a, a new earth. You know, that it's that only about 6,000 or so years old. Um, now, you know, we find as we get into this and you know when you bring this up and you have these conversations you, there'll be an argument associated with it uh, about that they don't believe you know what, what we're saying and we'll have a conversation i've had this conversation already and what we find out is is you know they'll sort of kind of tend to wash it away and they'll say well the, you know those those tides that didn't happen and it's because there's sort of a unusual event that must have occurred for this to happen so it's convenient to be able to throw that in Uh, To just say there's an unusual event to call off that hey my model doesn't really work here I can't really you know justify what you're saying because what you're saying is right so but if you take that and you put some scrutiny to it and look at it um, there has been some analysis done so they've they've looked um, they they were able to find in certain areas um, where I guess what you would call the 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 tidal you know flow you know how the daily tides move up and down in some sedimentary rock. They were able to map that and then and and project that and show that over over time, uh, and say, okay, this this is uh, sort of a prehistoric, if you will, movement of tides. Okay, and and so these these studies kind of tie into that, and it establishes the relationship between the length of the day and the month. So we have this sort of time period now that's tied back to that. To kind of track what they call tidal evolution, but the study, you know, it it claims, you know, that the span is over a half a billion years, and it shows that the current rate uh, has been prevalent during this time. So what this really means, you know, really in 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 calculation is that the data, their own data, this isn't it, our, you know, this isn't a Christian, you know, person's data. Or it's it's really I would call secular based data argues themselves against you know, their claims. it discounts their claims. They really try to wave it away, but it, it really does. It, it, it sort of messes it up. It doesn't calculate out, and so they'll kind of argue that away. Um, but as it relates to, uh, to the sun, another similar aspect, uh, let me go forward. I forgot to put the moon up, but there you go, the sun. All right, similar evidence comes out of the sun so we find that um, we believe that the sun gets its energy from thermonuclear fusion uh, of hydrogen into helium now bear in mind that's a theory okay we a lot of these things we are taught as truth but and and they very well could be but they're unmeasurable right nobody's been to the sun to be able to collect samples to know if this is really true or not so they they just don't know but that's what we think that it is okay Uh, According to this theory, the sun has enough nuclear fuel to power itself for 10 billion years. This is uh, what's been put out there. Um, Because the earth or this whole system is 4.5 billion years old, it's exhausted about half of its lifetime, half of its potential. So this presents a problem, okay? Okay. So during the 4.5 billion years, the sun would, have had, uh, w- would not have remained the same, the same. It would have gradually changed. When you're burning fuel like in your car and whatever, it's, it's changing, right? It's getting less. It's using it up. So if half of it's consumed, or almost half of it's consumed, something's changing. So the conversion of the hydrogen to, to helium, it would, have caused, uh, it would have altered really the core of the sun. It would have resulted in the sun's core shrinking... Which would force the temperature to increase on the sun when that occurs. That 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 uh, the mathematics of that you know will cause that to increase, um, and uh, the increased nuclear fusion rate would cause it to be brighter, like a lot more intense. So, but calculations show that in that case, the sun should be, if it's 4.5 billion years old, 40 percent brighter today. Uh, than it was 4.5 billion years ago. And it also, uh, it would have been 30% brighter in 3.5 billion years ago when they claimed that, uh, I guess, life began to appear you know, in Earth. This is all according to what we would call the Big Bang Theory. But based on observations today, if you do the math, and I actually did the math uh, to understand this, it means that, the changes over that period of time would have been a sixty to sixty-four degree Fahrenheit. I'm using Fahrenheit for everybody. Uh, change in the average Earth's temperature would have increased. Okay, and if you look at our current temperature today, it's fifty-nine degrees Fahrenheit. The, the average temperature of of the Earth, that would have put back in, in in this time everything to be well below freezing. So everything, nothing would have been able to live. The plants wouldn't have been there. The, there's a lot of a lot of problems, you know, with this with this with this uh, way of looking at things. So, you know, I I take a look at it and and sort of, you know, it, it's called the, the the faint sun paradox. And really, you know, I just think that uh, uh, there are a lot of holes in it. Evolutionists tend to believe that the Earth and Sun, you know, bi- are billions of years old. They they assume that the atmosphere of the Earth had more greenhouse gases inside of it. Uh, So as this happened and it got brighter, that it also adjusted in the earth uh, so that the greenhouse gases would be less, so that we wouldn't have problems that would occur with with the increased intensity of the brightness of the sun. Um, It's really kind of, to me, hard to put my head around how two completely unrelated processes could evolve, in their words, right, evolve, you know, exactly in compensating ways over billions of years, right? It, it, it doesn't make sense, right? The, the math doesn't add up. The probability is just not there. I find it really more reasonable to assume that the earth was created really a few thousand years ago. Uh, it was pretty much uh, the same atmospheric composition that we see today. Everything was as is. It hasn't really changed much. And you know, and it hasn't gotten any brighter. And, and I just feel that that's sort of where we are. Um, but moving on from the sun and the moon, you know, he also made the stars in verse sixteen. So, and and I think this is where it gets really exciting. You know, the stars to me just blow me away. Kind of like the picture that we saw earlier. And you know, so the duration of the days and nights, you know, was the same in each case. And the direction of light that was casting on the earth, this is important because the, the, the stars and, and the moon and the sun were all in place to, to cast light on the earth, is, is what the Bible tells us. Um, the light rays were hitting the earth as it rotated, and, and all this was already happening, um, even, I think, before you know, the fourth day. So when God said, let there be light, these things came into place. That's the way I see it, and it's the way I interpret it from reading a, a lot of different other trustworthy i think uh you know Christian authors that have talked about this 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 topic It, it makes sense to me, um, but you know, I know that the concept can sound strange. How did the light exist before the light was there? and I think you know we have to in this case sort of put it to God, right I mean, who are we? to say that God can't create light energy you know, as He sees fit and how it all sort of plays out. I mean, I can't really argue with that because I uh, don't remotely possess the knowledge that God does, obviously, uh, you know, with this, this topic. Um, it's a place, I think, where again, we've talked in the past about faith and trust, and, and you have to have faith and trust in some of these things and just know that, well, they exist. And I'm going to accept that. I don't think it took billions of years for the light from a star which uh, is billions of light years away and we're going to talk about that uh, to, to reach the earth You know, over that period of time. When God spoke it into existence, it just existed. right? The, 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 the wavelengths and the lines of those light traveling, it just was there at the moment in time when He spoke it into existence. And we have to have our trust and our faith in that um, you know, as we discussed in previous lessons, the universe, it it tells us God created it. It was full grown. It was in full, you know, full order. I was talking to Pastor Joe about this, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, the chicken, because God created the chicken when he spoke the chicken into existence, right? The egg didn't come first, the egg came after. So all these things, whether it's light or stars or suns or moons or Land or, 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 you know, grass—it it all just was spoken into existence. Um, the purpose, as we said before, that heavenly bodies was to give light upon the earth, so that, so that what they did right from—I'm sorry—so that it projected right from the beginning. So, um, you have to t- understand that a lot of the things that we see, even the things that they argue against, they're all theories. Right? So, theories get put forward and then somehow they become truths when they're not tested. They're just theories. They're ideas. We don't know. And so, we have to understand that and go into that. Um, Again, as we move on, uh, in Deuteronomy 4.19, I thought this was really good uh, because I feel like it's fitting. He said that, "...and take heed lest you lift your eyes to heaven. And when you see..." The sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and to serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the people under the whole heaven as a heritage. So, what we see in that verse or verse is is that uh, it's a gift. God created this, it's a gift to us. As humanity, you know, we haven't come yet in creation as we're talking. We haven't been created yet. It's coming. Um, but it's a gift. And we don't want to worship the creation, right? We worship the creator. And I think a lot of times we've gotten to this place in, in society where people worship the creation as opposed to the creator. Amen? So, as long as men have been observing the stars, They've always been looking look, look, looked as they do now. Really, honestly, I feel they haven't changed for the last six, 000, seven thousand years. Because when that occurred, they're the same as they were before. Allowing, of course, for changes in you know the Earth's rotation and whatever. Of course, things adjust you know because we're moving, but everything is still where it was from the beginning of time. Um, in my opinion. Um, it's not bad to study and seek knowledge. However, I think it's wrong to put forward these observations uh, as truth when, in fact, they're they're theories. I think the quest for knowledge is is it really allows us to observe some amazing things in creation, and we're about to talk about some of those. So, you know, one of the more profound tools that you know we have today was the Hubble Space Telescope. I'm sure everybody's seen things of it's been in around for 30 years now. Um, it was it was named after an astronomer i actually just watched a documentary on this which is really neat uh, of edwin hubble and they developed this this space telescope they had the dream all the way back i think it was in the 30s late 30s when he dreamt this thing up and they didn't get it up there and launched until 1990 but you know they put the hubble space telescope up in space and over its 30 years of operation it's it's Produce some of the most spectacular imagery uh, that, of God's universe that we've, we've ever seen. And it's just really you know, quite amazing. We'll look at a couple of those observations tonight, uh, a couple that I think are just that I really love. Um, but there are hundreds of them, thousands of them. Um, you could spend probably all day just navigating through and looking at them if you ever get time. But before we do that, I want to kind of draw a picture of where we are okay, when it comes to this. And I'm going to use an analogy that I got from a pastor uh, by the name of Francis Chan, who he, I thought he did this really well. And and it was you're really talking about the Milky Way. So we live in the Milky Way galaxy, okay? Um, and, you know, the Milky Way galaxy, I'll, it's, here's the Wikipedia, uh, probably not the best source, but, you know, here's the Wikipedia, you know, definition of it. It's a galaxy that, it, that includes our solar system, so all of our planets and our sun and so forth, moons, uh, with the name describing the galaxy appearance from Earth. Um, It's a hazy band of light seen in the night sky from stars that can't individually be distinguished by the naked eye. That's the Milky Way. That's that haze that you see when you look out at the Milky Way. Uh, The term Milky Way translates from the Latin via Lactia, which means milky circle. So it's just like a milky white circle. So that... That centerpiece that you see there is that. Now, if you take a look at this, and you, I'm going to click forward one, and I'm going to use the little laser here. Do you see the laser on the screen there? Okay. So, um, where the laser dot is right now, that's us, okay? So in this picture, and it is somewhat to scale, although it would be a pinprick, you wouldn't even see it as a dot like, like the laser dot. That's where we are. And in the, you can see the blown-up picture on the right-hand side here. You know, this is where we are inside of this, this Milky Way. Okay. Now, that being said, you know, as we kind of go forward and take a look at this, uh, I'm going to use this illustration. You first have to kind of measure things in, in speed, uh, in light. Right? Everything's measured in light and space. Right? So how far something is is based on how many light years it is away from us. Uh, for the most part. Maybe the closer things like the moon and so forth, we can measure in miles, but anything else you're going to measure in, in, in light years. And so you have to understand the speed of light. So the speed of light is, uh, light travels at the speed of 186,000-ish okay, miles per second. So it's extremely fast. If you had a laser and you, could, you p- put it totally perpendicular to the earth and it would follow the curvature of the earth, it means it would go around the earth 23 and a half times in one second. Right? So it, it's, it's really fast, right? So it's, it's moving along. Now, if you take a look at the Milky Way, and here's my laser pointer again, and you look out at the outer edge on this side, and you come all the way across to the outer edge on this side, okay? to travel across this, it would take traveling at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, it would take 100,000 years, to cross just our galaxy, okay, just to get from this side to this side. So it's it's quite amazing the sheer size of what God created. And this is just our galaxy. Another interesting point about this is it's estimated now, because of the Hubble Space Telescope, there are over 450 billion, with a B, billion galaxies like this. are out there we can see many of them uh, with the hubble space telescope you can see them out there the nearest one to us is andromeda galaxy but um and uh but it's just mind-boggling right but we're going to kind of take a look at this and we're going to kind of drill into it a little bit and and take a look at some pictures here so let me get my uh, thing to click forward there we go so we're back to the the zoomed-in view, right? So that little zoomed-in map. You can see where we are here. And the first uh, one that we're going to look at is the Carina Nebula. Right? And so the Carina Nebula is right here. So it's still it's in our galaxy. And we're kind of here, roughly where the dot is. And here's where the Carina Nebula is, right? So it's not too far away. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like this. So, it's quite an amazing picture. I don't even know how it looks up there. It looks pretty amazing, yeah. Um, the, 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 the imagery is just you know, mind boggling. So, according to NAS- NASA, the Carina Nebula is an enormous cloud of gas and dust, um, and uh, it's home to several mi- uh, very big, massive, bright stars. It, inclu- it includes a dozen or so that are 50 to 100 times bigger than our sun. Right? So they're very big. Imagine our sun, 50 to 100 times bigger. Uh, obviously, it would singe this planet if it were, you know, <laughs> to, to nothing. It would be like us and Mercury or something. Um, it's, uh, it's about 7,500 light-years from Earth. So it would take us traveling again at the speed of light, 7,500 years to get to this nebula. Uh, and be able to, to see it, you know, if we had a spaceship that could move at that speed. We'd have to actually have to travel it at a, a faster speed than that, which I don't think is going to happen. So. Um, uh, it's been given a lot of different nicknames, but it was originally discovered in 1752, which I thought was kind of amazing, that's a long time ago. With a, with a You can see it with a telescope if you know where to look for it. You can actually see it, not as clear as this, but you can see it. Um, and it was discovered in South in South Africa uh, by a, a, an astronomer in 1752. So now we're going to go back into our zoomed out picture, and we're going to look at one more. Uh, and this one is really called the Eagle Nebula, and it is right here. So again, similar. We're here. It's over here, and you know, it's, it's still within our galaxy and you would almost kind of consider it's close by, right? It's a close neighbor. So what does it look like, this Eagle Nebula? Well, it's very, very beautiful. Uh, you know, these red colors. Now, the colors come from the way they shoot the film. You know, So they're able to capture various different things by using different filters. But it's just quite beautiful, the, the gases and so forth that exist there. It's a, it's a star cluster. It's, it's surrounded by these things called natal clouds. Uh, It's kind of cosmic dust and glowing gas that exists out there. And again, bear in mind, theories, right? We're not 100% sure. Nobody's been out there to see it. But that's what we think that it is. Um, And, you know, it's it's about 7,000 light years away from Earth. But I want to focus in on one area that I just find. This is probably the most beautiful picture I've ever seen to me. Um, You guys might think otherwise, but... Uh, It's in a specific area. It's right here at this particular piece. And I really like it because of the name that they gave it. Uh, The scientist NASA, I guess, or whoever named it. I'm not quite sure who named it because I didn't see that. But uh, let's take a look at this more close up. So this thing is called the Pillars of Creation. So they named this after what I think is a perfect name for something that is just so quite amazing and beautiful. Beautiful. If you look at all of those stars that are beyond, some of those are stars that are just in our Milky Way. Um, there, there are some that are maybe could be galaxies that are further off, but it's just it, it's uncountable, right? The sheer number of, of what's out there that God created. And so this is, again, it's part of the same cosmic dust and gas, um, but they call it the pillars of creation. And, and this too, the eagle nebula, was seen back in 1745. By a Swiss astronomer in this case, so unfortunately, we don't have you know tons of time. Uh, we could look at these you know quite a bit, but you know we'll kind of continue on here. Um, you know it's really beautiful, and I think that it's worth you know looking at and taking the time to take a look at it. Um, it's important that, the, as I said before, that these descriptions they're man-made. You know uh, we don't know we haven't observed these things. Um, it could be true, it could not be true, but you know it, it is you know very beautiful uh, of what God has created. You know It says in the Bible you know in in, in in the Genesis where we were reading that you know these lights were set in the firmament and they were set there to cast light on the earth. You know the firmament, firmament is a common term we heard it before in in past uh, study, um, but it 's quite an amazing sphere of god 's creative uh, ability and what he's created. The fact that both the sun and the moon are called light givers does suggest that they are of the same substance, but they're not. You know, one generates light, the sun, and the other one reflects light, um, which is the moon. So, as I close, I just want to kind of remember a point of some one of the studies I was doing. There was a little story, and I think it's a good fitting place as we talk about the sun and the moon, and the sun gives the light, and the moon reflects the light. and I'd like to read this so in in first a couple you know last scriptures here, you know, in first John one five, it says that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And in Matthew five three through sixteen, we see Jesus tell us that you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor. How shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city is set on a hill. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden, nor do you uh, light a lamp and then put it under a basket, but on a lampstand so that it gives light to all those in the house who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So as I close on this story, it's about the author's writing about his mother who used to teach him. He said, I remember my mother teaching me that in a way, the Son is like Jesus. Jesus' God is the source of light. Pure, holiness, Righteousness, goodness, all truth. Now, this is the opposite of darkness. Meaning, the darkness of sin and evil. And thus, God is the opposite of the evil one, the devil, uh, who is the father of all lies. So, he goes on to say, the sun is its own source of light, whereas the moon reflects the sun's light. So, as as the mother told his son, we as humans... Uh, should be uh, to be the light of the world we need to be like the moon reflecting the light of the lord jesus on everything that we do so let's go ahead and pray and and uh, we'll close out heavenly father we thank you for this day lord we thank you for this uh, message and time lord i I thank You, Father, that uh, anybody that hears this, either here now, Lord God, or or on on the live stream, or searches and finds it, Lord, that it will bring uh, meaning to them, Father, that it will bring direction to them, Lord, that it will guide them uh, to Your truth, Father God. We thank You so much for loving us and for creating this beautiful, beautiful world and universe, Lord, that we live in. Go before us now tonight, Lord. Keep us safe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.